This episode of Tales of the Voidfarer is brought to you in part by Podgo. We've been singing Podgo's praises for the last few episodes now, and you know, we probably still would even if they weren't paying us. But the fact is, Podgo is paying us, and they could be paying you too, because Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And be sure to tell them those cool nerds at Tales of the Voidfarer sent you. that back for one for one what we just yeah said. everybody remember exactly <laughs> what you said in that gold banter that happened before any of us hit record <laughs> hi everyone welcome to chapter four of tales of the void bear uh so we have a brand new chapter brand new storyline and do some cool new stuff and i'm really excited to get into it everybody leveled up that's exciting Level six. Level six. Big boy stuff starts happening. Uh huh. Yeah. You know what else that means? Big boy challenges. Mm. No. I just want the good parts. I don't want the bad parts. (laughs) And I thought that that hamster mech from the last episode was pretty deadly as it was. Yeah, Yeah, that was was easily our hardest. (laughs) We leveled up just from that. We should have gotten two levels. (laughs) So, without further ado, then, let's hop into things. Luckbeak, you are out of breath. You are on the deck of the Void Fair, squared off against Ravnus in one of your many sparring sessions that you've had on this voyage. On your way to the moon, commonly referred to as the Vizier, around the planet, commonly referred to as the Fat King. Marco, now having translated his map, knows that that planet is actually called Valsilkos and the moon Orato. But that doesn't really matter. Whatever they're called, you are tasked with delivering a shipment. Uh, this was a, a job that Brawla Iron Dust of the Tishra's Pride had originally agreed to do. But obviously, since the Tishra's Pride was impounded by the Elven Imperial Navy, she asked her friend Val if the Voidfarer could do the job in her stead. Now, Brawla herself has also come with you, which has been interesting thus far because she is... To put it lightly, a strong personality. But at this moment, she's nowhere to be seen as Luckbeak and Ravnus are sparring on the deck. Okay. Um, Yeah, Uh, Ravnus is going to swing her club at him since he's still pretty new at this. Please don't hit me with anything sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's going to be a 10, which probably misses. It does, just barely, but it does. (laughs) Okay, so she swing and a miss. Uh huh. And I think the uh the the amount of pride on Luckbeak's face as he like dodges to the side is just like 
unreal. Like, uh, he probably doesn't do that much. Um, and he's going to take the uh, short sword that I don't believe I've ever used uh, and uh, attempt to strike back at Ravnus. Oh, that's going to be a 10? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Ravnus, as he thrusts his sword, you just, with your club, just kind of parry like it Parry it away, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that undue sense of confidence, that, that grin that was on Luckbeak's face, f- fades so fast as Ravnus does whatever she's about to do to beat his fucking skull in. <laughs> um, yeah, she swings her club again. Uh, that is a lot better. That is a 22. Oh, I'd say that hits. All right. <laughs> Um, that's only a eight. Okay, that's like a fourth of my HP. Yeah, you're fine. That's why she's using the club. No, stop, stop. God, just repost and, and, and parry and there's just, there's a lot going on. It's a lot to remember. You could just try to not get hit. Yeah, what do you think I'm trying to do, Ravnus? I'm... Listen, it's just that I'm trying not to get hit, but I'm also trying to hit you. And the two ideas, I mean, they feel mutually exclusive. It feels like you're telling me to do all these things. It's like a dance. I was never a good dancer, okay? And that's all sword fighting feels like. It's not dancing. Oh, yeah, well, all right, I guess. But it feels a lot like it. Like when you step forward, I step back. And I got to watch your fancy footwork. And one mistake. And I'm dead on the ground, just like my high school prom. Trust me. Ravnus, this is just like dancing. (laughs) Dancing, you have to worry about the other person. You should just be worrying about you right now. Okay, all right. I guess. I I don't know. It doesn't feel... Can I just shoot you? Would that be okay if I just fight you with my crossbow? Like, maybe you stood on one side of of the Void Fair and I stood on this side, and (laughs) maybe you just, like, rushed at me, but I had, like, I don't know six turns or something to just go ahead and get into it that doesn't (laughs) sound very fair well ha 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 ravness is warfare (laughs) why would i let someone in war do that when i could just beat them up right now yeah okay because it's role ravness do you know what role playing (laughs) is (laughs) no (laughs) <laughs> what nerds do <laughs> alright but I, I guess I just don't feel like I'm good at this and I mean I thank you for, for doing what you're doing but maybe I should just like you know I don't know maybe being a fighter isn't in my blood I think it's something that you should know if you want to keep doing this okay alright well I guess I'll just sleep off another concussion let's keep going Mm -hmm. now and i will say this that luckbeak has shown considerable improvement maybe not in the sword play part but definitely in like the like fighters resolve and like that sort of thing like he's definitely learned to take a punch by now um uh so much so that like he can you know weather uh a lot more of a beating because it's really been what you've been doing on the daily to him uh, this past uh, <laughs> week or so of the voyage, um, which is basically a lot of words to say that he has uh, second wind <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. She's beat me up enough that I've learned how to take a second wind, basically. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a survival defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that fight or flight. Yeah. You focused on the fight now instead of the flight. <laughs> yeah. Though I'm ready to go back, please. Right. <laughs> so um, at that point, you square up again to go for another round and the door coming out from below the quarter deck opens and Marco is excitingly coming out. Now, Marco, this is happening because... Uh, you were just in the navigation room and you were told that you will be arriving within the proximity of uh, Vasilkos, the Fat King, any moment. And it's a site that I'm sure you don't want to miss. Oh, yeah. Um, Marco's excited, sprinting up the stairs, ready to see Vasilkos for myself. Stops for a second and looks at Luckbig. Um, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I, you, you wouldn't do much better, Marco. I'm, I'm doing no. all right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and that's why I'm never going to try. <laughs> Coming up behind Marco is Val, and in Val's wake is Brawla. And as the two of them emerge, Brawla sees Luckbeak and Ravnus on the deck, and she goes, Oh, did she kill the penguin yet? Not yet. I swear it's going to happen one of these days. She's got a little more... <laughs> result a little more concentration she's not gonna kill are you gonna kill me ravenous you're not gonna accidentally kill me are you ravenous is going to try to sweep luckbeak's legs <laughs> <laughs> make either athletics or acrobatics and luckbeak you can do the same okay um that is going to be a 15 Max actually six. no let me go for the higher one that's going to stop. be a 16 stop. <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah i got a six okay yeah like <laughs> beak your your webbed feet are immediately kicked out both sandals go flying off as you land hard on the ground what God? we weren't even doing it yet <laughs> you always have to be prepared <laughs> what God? ravenous next time you're on the bow of the ship i'm gonna shoot you in the back of the head non-lethally but we are gonna do it my way eventually <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Me too. <laughs> this is now turned into what I imagine is a prank war, but with lethal weapons. <laughs> yeah. Good wholesome fun on the Void Fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to find some way to get your entertainment. Yeah. And Brawla has her eyebrows raised and goes, oh, she's got some moves and kind of winks at Ravnus. Ravnus does not respond. <laughs> <laughs> Just stoic. Marco responds for Ravnus. Of course, she's the best, and then keeps Aww. going. <laughs> yeah, and Marco, as you look up, you see the like almost streaks of stars. Like, because when the ship is at spell jamming speed, even the distant stars, which move only slowly in normal circumstance, uh, actually crawl across the sky pretty quickly. And uh, as you look up, you see them slow to a halt. This massive planet in front of you and it's this brilliant purple gas giant with huge bright gold rings that are almost positioned perpendicular to its equator so it's this huge circular like halo around this massive purple planet and you would recognize from the drift globe navigation table in the chart room that this is in fact the fat king valsilkos Marco is just enamored. Mm -hmm. Tanner is thinking that's going to make a ball or bath bomb from Lush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marco just staring up like just wide eyed and happy. A kid in a candy store. <laughs> yeah. And as you see this and taking it in, you actually catch glimpses of black dots on the rings in a couple of places. And you realize it's shadows being cast by a handful of moons. You can only see three or four of them now, but you know from studying the chart that the Fat King, Valsilkos, has six moons that are collectively called the King's Court. Okay. And you know that your destination 
is the vizier or Arato, as the Kratorians called it. And um, you can pick out that particular moon pretty quickly because the Voidfarer begins maneuvering towards one of these small specks that, that you see. And it very quickly grows larger and larger until you see that it is this beige-ish brown disc in front of you. You see some swirling clouds, but they get darker and as you approach and the moon kind of rotates, you see that it looks like an entire hemisphere of this moon is shrouded in swirling black gray clouds, a perpetual storm that covers half of this moon's surface. Well, that isn't ominous at all. Mm-hmm. And only to add to the ominousness, I guess, you see the occasional flicker of this purple lightning every now and again within the swirling clouds. I kind of look back to Val and say, Val, are we going to need to go into that? Actually, we are heading to a settlement quite appropriately called Storm's Edge, which is outside of the raging sandstorm. Good, good. Cool. I'm sure that won't come up at all later. Brawla will speak up and says, Oh yeah, there's no way you can take a ship inside that thing. You just get torn to bits. That's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Now let me keep staring at him in wonderment. Right. (laughs) And it gets bigger and bigger as you approach, and you have that familiar sensation of the Voidfarer entering the planet's atmosphere, where the air envelope breaks, letting in the air from the planet, which is warm and dry. And poison. And poisonous. (laughs) We all all die. die. (laughs) The end. Great campaign. (laughs) No, this is D&D. All air is breathable. (laughs) So the ship um, descends further and further, and you can actually see now the edge of the storm, which is this huge wall of swirling black clouds. And again, you see that flicker of purple lightning here and there. And now that you're in the atmosphere, you hear the rolling thunder sound very distant that accompanies every flash a few moments after. And it appears that you are approaching what looks like a small settlement nestled at the foot of this massive miles high wall that is the edge of this sandstorm. You can see it from the air. It's generally circular in shape with a few buildings here or there with one side looks like it's a huge, almost tent city. And you see there's a couple ships that are set down on the edges of the town. The Voidfarer itself makes its descent and Val will command to deploy the landing gear of the ship which you never really noticed because there's the mechanical hardware modifications on the outside of the hull, kind of ailerons that extend outward to help with navigation. But some of those are actually landing gear like legs that extend down these like brass mechanisms. And as the ship descends, there is a soft thud and a lurch as the Voidfarer sets down in an open space in basically this barren desert-like terrain around this settlement. And a gangplank is deployed, and the gangplank is pretty steep to go from the top deck all the way down to the ground because the ship is sitting a couple feet off of the ground with the landing gear. But the crew begins unloading the cargo, and Val will say, All right, 
Brala, you have your contacts, I presume. Let them know the shipment has arrived. Um, we'll start unloading it. And Val kind of turns to the rest of you and the other members of the crew who are now uh, coming down from the riggings, having now landed. We have a couple hours while the cargo gets unloaded. I suppose you can wander around town, but meet back here in two hours and uh, we'll get off this rock. Uh, I'm going to uh, to try and catch up to Marco real quick. Hey, uh what's the uh what's 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 happening here i mean is this our final destination or are we gonna make our way into that storm um i would hope we don't have to enter into that storm right but i mean knowing us i mean <laughs> val didn't say anything well what val told me whenever i saw it is that we're staying at storm's edge we are not going to go into that thing okay i mean don't get me wrong I know how fate is with us. Eventually, we're going to end up in that thing. Right. Okay. It's like you know the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> how, how about we just hope against hope that we won't end up in that thing? All right. I mean, I ain't no dummy. I read enough that I understand common literary tropes, and this certainly <laughs> seems like something foreshadowing we're hanging our hat on here. But all right. All right. I guess we'll just wander around for a while. Cool. As Marco and Luckbeak look into the camera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tashi pokes his little head out of your pocket. <laughs> okay. What's in this town, Nick? So yeah, you walk down the extended gangplank onto the ground on the edge of town. The ground is dry and dusty. Doesn't look like there's a whole lot of vegetation. It's very desert-like all around, which makes sense because the temperature here is pretty sweltering. Luckily, the sun is already kind of below the edge of the storm. It's still daytime, but you're kind of in the shadow of the storm. The edge of the storm being only maybe about a half mile away. You see a couple of ramshackle buildings made out of clay, and you see that there is a large building that has like a large sliding barn, almost garage door across the way. There's a smaller building next to it that looks like it's some sort of like cantina or tavern. And across the way from that stuff, kind of on your other side, looks like there's a building that is a forge of some sort. And off the back of that is like a little shanty town full of all of these like ramshackle little huts. You actually can hear the dinging of steel as it looks like there's a dwarf in the open air forge off that way. And there's people moving around. There's a lot of dwarves. There's, you know, a couple humans and elves kind of minding their own business. It looks like uh, this is kind of just like a trading port town. One of the ships that is landed on the other side is a stone draugr ship, similar to the Xena Syndicate ship that you guys fought before. However, you can see flying from its flag the sigil of the Moonhammer Mining Company. Okay, does anybody have any place they want to go first? <laughs> um... Not really. As you kind of glance over to that forge, it does look like there's a table laid out with all kinds of blades and swords and weapons and armor pieces and stuff that look like they're there for sale. Sure. Hey, Luckbeat, you can actually pick up a new sword over there. If you're feeling like that one's a little worn down or you need a new style. Man, I don't know. I, I guess I'll look for something. I mean, Unless there's a sword that makes me better at fighting with a sword, then I don't think it's going to work for me, but I might as well look. You can get a helmet so you don't get any more concussions. Yeah, I suppose that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I guess they can make... I don't know how long we're here, how long it's going to take to forge a helmet for a doar, but anyway, let's give it a try. Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe they could forge Marco a hat, too. <laughs> what? Does Marco need a hat? He always gets hats wherever we go. That is fair. Marco, do you have, like, a collection? 
I I'm starting to make one, right. yeah. Right. Might as well get a souvenir, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, all right, that makes sense. All right, let's go check it out. Yeah. So you walk over there and you see that there is, in fact, a dwarf hammering away. She is wearing kind of sleeveless shirt. You can see her just biceps bulging as she's holding the pliers down on a sword blade that's still hot from coming out of the forge as she's bringing a hammer down on it and sparks are flying. She has kind of like red brown hair that is pulled back into intricate braids that braid into each other and kind of go halfway down her back, holding all her hair out of her face as she works. And uh, as you approach, she takes the tongs and drops the blade into the oil bath and steam comes up. And Hello, shopkeep. <laughs> <laughs> she turns, taking her goggles off and rubbing the sweat off of her brow. Oh, newcomers just landed. I was wondering what that bloody great ship was doing. Uh, she says, nodding to the Voidfarer that is a couple hundred feet away. So interested in uh, any of my smithed wares? I mean, maybe. I mean, you got like a, a, a catalog or... <laughs> Catalogs out in front of you. All of them are axe carver signatures. I do my family proud with everything that I lay out here. Plus, many of these are made by many of my apprentices. Uh, they're trying to work their way off this rock. She kind of gestures to like the shanty town behind her. Okay. All right. Well, I'm always up for helping somebody in need. There is a wide variety of simple and martial weapons, daggers and rapiers and short swords, sure. long swords. There's shields of a couple different shapes and sizes, including a handful of little bucklers. There's some simple steel armor, like chainmail, splintmail, and like a, a breastplate. If there's anything in particular you're looking for, mm -hmm. there's such a variety here that it looks like there's a chance you might be able to find it. Since I'm a level one fighter now, do I have the fighter proficiencies for armors? I think... Uh, proficiency is a weird thing with multi-class. Oh, it is? Um, okay, so uh, so you don't get all of the proficiencies. You just get some. For fighter, it is light armor, medium armor, shields, simple weapons, martial weapons. Got it. So you don't get heavy armor. Got it. You only get that if you started as a fighter. Okay. I'll just see if there's anything in there that has to do with hats. <laughs> there's, there's a couple helms. They almost all look like they're dwarven made for dwarves. They're a little wider and squatter than a human helmet. I have a feeling it's not going to fit Marco's head. I'm going to take a step back for this one. <laughs> It'd be just a bell <laughs> over your head. <laughs> yeah, the smith folds her arms as she patiently waits as you look over all of her wares. So um, what brings you here to uh, Storm's Edge? Well, we're, uh, we're actually uh, part of a, a, a transport company. And uh, we're, we're just, uh, you know, doing a job here, just stopping by. I don't even know if we're staying the night. Probably not. Now, this chain shirt, what's the lowest you can do on this? Uh, chain shirt? Um, now, don't check your books. Just tell me what. <laughs> I, I got 15 gold. <laughs> <laughs> she is going to say. Now, here, you flipping pages. I'm offering you <laughs> off the table in like three seconds here. <laughs> Uh, she says, ah, this chain shirt, this was done by one of my newer apprentices. It's not the best work, but I can probably give it to you for 35 gold. <sighs> yeah, all right, all right. Uh, I put it back. Great. Well, um, damn. Hey, how much are we getting paid for this one? Uh, I'm talking to, uh, to Marco or Ravnus. Ravnus just grabs the shirt and, uh, she starts looking around the weapons to see what kind of other things she has 
<laughs> you just ignore Luckbeak's mm-hmm, question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she grabs a chain shirt and then ignores Luckbeak's question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so not just ignore, but also disrespect by grabbing the thing he was going to buy. I have no idea. We probably should have asked that before. Yeah. We're kind of salaried at this point, aren't we? Yeah, just a bit. More or less. <laughs> Plus bonuses based on like the profit that the ship is making. Yeah. So every job pays a little bit different, but you at least get like a base rate just by being part of the group. Sure. And that's not normally something that's discussed job to job. It's just you do the job and then Val pays you. <laughs> right. Were you looking for anything in particular, Ravnus? No, just to see if there's any like interesting weapons here. None that really jump to you. They're all pretty standard. They all have that like slightly dwarven cut to them, you know, with the kind of like Celtic knot style patterns on the pommels and cross guards of things. Ooh. But for the most part, they're all pretty simple, functional weapons. Okay. And it almost strikes you as weird that there's a forge here just making random shit, considering this is such a small settlement. Like this forge and all the weapons that they're creating, weapons, armor, and other craft goods. There's even tools and stuff here too. So there's like, you know, hammers and shovels and and stuff and even like little decorative pieces. Uh, there's a lot of metalworking craft here. Um, and you, you kind of strikes you suddenly that that's a lot for this tiny little settlement. Yeah. Um, she is going to grab just some more like crossbow bolts and then uh, go up to pay. So you're, you're buying that chain shirt? Yeah. So it's 35 for the chain shirt and then... Let's say she buys uh, another 20 crossbow bolts. It's just one gold for 20 bolts. Okay, so she hands over 36 gold. Thank you kindly. And then she hands the shirt to Luckbeak. Wait, what? You wanted the shirt. Well, yeah, but... Uh, I Thank you, Ravnus. Thank you. This is... uh. Was real nice of you. If you don't get damaged as much, I get more health from you. Got it. <laughs> no, I understand. You got a cow chip, but that's uh, that's that's real kind. Thank you. No problem. Cute. <laughs> so as she hands over the the chain shirt and your bolts, the blacksmith is going to say, "Well, so if you're delivering, I assume it's to the mine. No wonder you're um armoring and arming up." Uh, yeah, I I mean, why? Is there stuff down in the mines we should be careful for? Uh, the mine is, uh, and she nods into the storm. Ah, oh, fuck. See, Marco, see, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Ah, oh, God. Uh, hey, maybe this will be the one where Val picks, like, uh, I don't know, Elwyn <laughs> and Vyreth to go with her or something. <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, get Jack and Tatters and Scuttlebutt up the table and they'll go. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, maybe... No, those two got partying to do. <laughs> do they do anything other than dance on tables? <laughs> so maybe this will be the one where we can just, like, relax and have a chill time at the boat and uh, and, and somebody else will go out. You know what? I bet that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you're damn right. We're going to go back. It's going to be okay. Luckbeak and Marco look into the camera again. <laughs> At that point, uh, Marco, um, while you're having this conversation, the big dwarven dragger ship off on the other side of the settlement kicks up some dust as its giant rune drive rings spin up to speed and it takes off and flies away, seemingly packed up their cargo. And the smith is going to say, well, if you are heading to the mine, um, there might be some dwarves looking for some protection on the trip back out. She gestures over her shoulder to like the shanty town 
the mine's been laying off an awful lot of dwarves, and uh, many of them can't afford to stay in their lodgings at the mine itself. So I'm doing for them what I can, teaching them how to smith so that maybe they can earn passage off of this rock, but uh, there might still be some at the mine. So if you're going there and coming back, uh, I'd be willing to compensate you if you can see him to me. Yeah, I mean... Sure. Of course. Sure. We'll give it a try. I mean, no guarantees, but... Um, Marco's going to fish out two gold pieces and hand it over to her. Give that to the people of the shantytown. They probably need it more than I do. Well, yeah, you're very kind, and your your patronage helps as well. She gestures to the purchases that Ravnus made. And uh, if uh know anyone else around here from your crew looking for some quality-made dwarven arms and armor, send them to Signiac's Carver. Um, we can ask Brohane if... I mean, yeah, might as well spread the word. No reason not to. Yeah. Great. Well, have a good day. Thank you. Marco, as you go to turn and walk away, somebody bumps into you rather hard, like they weren't paying attention to where they were going and kind of shoulder checks you in the back, and it kind of knocks you to a knee. Ugh! I look up to see who it is. Yeah, you look up and you see the thin, emaciated, rotting form of a zombie. Um, oh, sir, would you, oh, by the gods. Hey everyone, Nick Yurisiva here, your dungeon master and motivational speaker. You, you can do it. I believe in you. Thanks for listening to this chapter four premiere of Tales of the Voidfarer. This is actually supposed to be the main plot of last chapter before Luckbeak accidentally killed a dude. But you know, these things happen in Dungeons and Dragons. If you missed it, go check out Spelljammer Confirmed, our bonus one-shot we originally streamed for Gen Con Online, featuring special guests Bonnie Gordon and Xander Genre of the Library Bards. It's a side adventure that canonically happened between this episode and the last one. It was an absolute blast, and you should for sure check it out. Be sure to check us out on social media at Voidfarer Podcast on Insta and Facebook and at Voidfarer Pod on Twitter. And we would absolutely love you a million times forever if you would rate and review us on iTunes and Podchaser. That super helps us out and costs you nothing. All the cool people are doing it. As always, special thanks to Tom Goldthwaite for writing and composing our theme song and other original music and additional music provided by purple-planet.com. And stick around to the end of the episode for some other cool music-related goodness. Fables Around the Table Tainted Love, our second season of our anthology actual play podcast featuring the RPG slash dating sim Visigoths vs. Malgoths, comes out next week, Wednesday, August 26th. And you can meet our goths in episode zero tomorrow. Stick around to the end of the episode for a sneak preview. I know I've been talking a long time, but if you wanted to know exactly how long, you can do it stylishly with a watch from Vare. Vare was founded with the goal of building an affordable everyday wristwatch that blends tasteful design with extreme durability and functionality. Vare returns a sense of dignity to affordable wristwatches and are built to last. Vare is a true American watch company specializing in both quartz and automatic watches. Vare is offering our listeners 15% off if you use the code PODGO15. Go to verewatches.com to learn more and get your new timepiece today. Well, I've talked enough. Episode 4-2 of Tales of the Voidfarer will arrive on Tuesday, September 1st. See you then.
<laughs> yeah, and it is like leaning down on you, its mouth wide open, its lips all rotted away, revealing its gums and teeth that are all black and gnarled. Its flesh is already like green and white and falling off in certain places and you see that almost strapped on its back like a backpack is like a comically large oak chest that is way bigger than it is but it is it's holding it which explains the weight that hit you that knocked you off of your feet and this thing is like leering down at you surprising you Ravenous is getting her sword out. <laughs> crossbow ready. I look up and just at an instinct, I cast Ice Knife. Yeah. A 23. Oh, that definitely hits. All right. Um, right. I'm going to need him to make a dexterity saving throw. Okay. That is comically bad. <laughs> that is seven piercing damage, and then the Ice Knife explodes, causing four cold damage. Okay. So yeah, basically on the ground, you send this ice knife up into its face and it rips through its jaw and takes off a quarter of its face as the ice knife then explodes, coating this wooden chest on its back, its shoulder and its head in this frost. And it staggers, but doesn't die. And it turns back to you. Its tongue now partially frozen and hanging out the side of its face that you basically opened up from your ice knife. And as it turns back at you menacingly, you hear a voice coming from nearby. Number seven! Number seven, where have you wandered? Oh, number seven! And this figure runs up to you. You see this half-elven man, very clearly like wizard-type attire, jacket that buttons up the front, but it's long and kind of goes all the way down past his knees. And you do, in fact, see that he has a large tome strapped to his belt. And he has brown hair and pale, boyish features, slightly pointed ears, and he has big, round glasses. Oh, I'm so sorry. Did number seven startle you? And he reaches down a hand to help you up. Um, Marco is going to take it a little shakenly. Yes, yes, he did. Would you care to explain what is happening here? He helps you up by your feet. I am terribly sorry. He occasionally wanders too far away. I assure you he means no harm, though. And he turns to the zombie. Lucky number seven, your luck is going to run out if you keep this up. And the zombie is just like... <laughs> just standing there and you see kind of following in this guy's wake in the same direction that he came from is another zombie with this one with a comically huge like travel pack and you can see like bedroll rolled up and like a tent rolled up on top and there's pots and pans dangling on the side and you see there's scroll tubes and map tubes sticking out the other side as this zombie comes lumbering up to this half elven wizard ah and number 12 there you are how, how many of these do you have? Right now, just the two. <laughs> you name them that to be confusing then? <laughs> oh, no, there were, there were others. They just, you know, I try not to reuse names, you see. Oh, I could tell why. I mean, they're so creative. It, it's a respect thing. Sure. Um, really. Sure, I get it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Where, where are my manners? My name is Fival Zamphir. Fival, it's a pleasure to meet you. Marco Astorio. Pleasure to meet you as well. Um, I'll make the assumption that you are a necromancer scholar. I am, in fact. Oh. Necromancy is a specialty of mine. Conjuration mine. Ah, yes. Always a pleasure to meet another scholar of the arcane arts. Oh, these are my associates, Luckbeak and Ravnus. You put the hand over to us and I'm in the middle of elbowing Ravnus and mouthing the word nerds. Uh. <laughs> Ravnus is nodding. <laughs> no, uh, yes, uh, yeah, l uh, Luckbeak Humboldt, good to meet you. He'll he'll shake your hand, Luckbeak. Ravnus. Um, yes, I wonder how is it that you can control your zombies so well? 
the ones that I met back at the Academy, um, it didn't go completely correct for them, unfortunately. And a lot of damage happened. But Yes, um, it's, it's really, um, necromancy is about discipline. Um, a certain um, capacity of my magic needs to be used every single day to maintain my control. I've seen it a million times, necromancers being lazy, forgetting their daily castings of animate dead and the next thing you know you have zombies terrorizing the countryside they give us all a bad name it's just laziness really well it's a pleasure to meet you then wait so what what happened to one through six comma eight through eleven <laughs> he says um well my travels are a little bit uh dangerous um traveling and studying very various arcane sources and mysteries um they have befallen a number of fates uh, protecting me from various threats like beasts or or other uh, assailants or um in a handful of cases um misfortunate uh, misunderstandings like what nearly happened here to number 7 and you have to say, number seven, you've been lasting much longer than, than all of your brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Not for a lack of trying. I, I call it, I, that's why I call him lucky number seven. Mm. Tell, tell me, would you happen to be a part of the Seekers? I'm actually looking for someone named Diago Vasco. He kind of like laughs a little bit and he goes, oh, no, no, no. I would never associate myself with the Seekers. I don't do well <laughs> with um, authority. I see. I, 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 much, I much prefer to keep my studies independent. Fievel, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Hopefully we'll run into each other again. I plan to be here for a little bit. Oh, are you here studying the storm as well? Oh, um, well, I know there was an archaeology site that I've been looking into. However, I haven't been necessarily looked into the storm just yet. Is there anything that's particularly interesting about it? Beyond your basic, I guess, astronomical anomalies. <laughs> Meteorological, actually, to be precise. But, in fact, uh, the storm itself is arcane in nature. Um, best we can tell, it's been here for a very long time, perpetually churning on the same hemisphere of this moon. And furthermore, the lightning that happens occasionally is not lightning. It is, in fact necromantic energy ah and as a result no creature that loses its life in the storm remains dead it appears the storm has a way of reanimating any corpse that should befall within it it's quite fascinating i have a number of theories as to why that could be um perhaps some elder tempest corrupted by necromantic energy resides here on this moon or or perhaps this is the result of some massive Kratorian wizard army battle we know the Kratorians were exceptional mages uh and and their their understanding of magic goes far beyond what we understand today so who knows uh if they could have caused this or or, or perhaps there is a portal to the plain of pandemonium and this storm is spewing from that chaos into the atmosphere or or perhaps it could be a combination of all of these i'm here to see if i can find out and in fact he says just motor mouth continuing to talk in fact i i hired a good chap to um see if he can recover a specimen from the storm he should be arriving any time now and he says kind of looking past you to the storm itself i like to make a history arcana check for the gratorians could be capable of something this size make a history check that is a 24. Yeah, um, 
it's certainly possible. You've only really scratched the surface of your studies into Kratorian magical technology, but it stands to reason based on some of the things you've seen that if you had a powerful enough mage or enough of them or like a powerful enough conduit of magic, you could do crazy shit like create a magic necromancy storm on the half of an entire moon. It's not outside the realm of possibility. And you even know of, of powerful magic that is known, things like wish and stuff like that, that could reasonably do stuff like this. Um, so the fact that the Kratorians were advanced and had access to advanced magic, um, it's a sound theory, but there's not really any evidence one way or the other yet. Huh. That is quite intriguing. Marco sits down and starts to take notes himself on what it could possibly be. <laughs> That's very interesting. That's very, very, uh, if you'll excuse me. <laughs> BRB. Hey, 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 before, before we lose you, can you just tell me, 7 and 12 here, um, where did you get the, the actual, you know, the bodies? Um, the stock, uh, yeah, well, um, I, I get that question a lot. Um, uh, they, um... Uh, were actually volunteers, you know, donating the body to science and such uh, after they died of natural causes or of unfortunate circumstances that I had nothing to do with, I assure you. Donated the body to... Magic. The pursuit and study of necromancy. There's... You can donate your body to necromancy? Certainly. That's wild. What a way to live on after your death. It happens quite more often than you would think, Luckbeak. Yeah. And most necromancers are willing to pay quite handsomely in advance... So that you can have plenty of gold to spend while you're alive. And upon the moment of your death, your contract stipulates that they get to reanimate you. Huh. Uh, how, how would you go about finding somebody to pay for that? <laughs> um, well, it, most necromancers pay for it themselves, as is the case with me. Um, I struck a deal with several traveling companions in the past. And, you know, them partaking in the dangerous uh, occupation of adventuring. Mm. And paid them quite handsomely for it. And then... In the moment that they would eventually perish, that is when I came for the remains. Sure, got it. Well, hey, if uh, if you ever need somebody else, uh, uh, just let me know. Um, <laughs> all right, well, just just. <laughs> I will keep that Seems in mind. Seems like a if, good deal. If I ever had the need for a very short feathered. Throat. Well, no, hey, I mean, I'm a. <laughs> a, I'm a oh, I, I meant no. I meant no disrespect. Yeah, I'm a, um, it's. Oh, different stock has different sure. uses. I'm sure I could, you know. And something catches his eye uh, at that. And he goes, ah, here's my man now. You turn towards the storm and you see there's a trail of dust that is getting kicked up. And what at first sounds like thunder kind of shifts in pitch slightly as it gets closer. And you see that there is a figure mounted on something hurtling from the storm towards the settlement. And as it rolls into town, you see that this is a gif straddled on a mechanical vehicle of some sort that has this big like gear with teeth sticking out as a front wheel and the back wheel is like a wide tank tread and he's straddled on it holding handlebars and he's dragging a sack 
behind him. And this gif strikes you because he's not wearing a uniform like you've seen all gif wear. He's wearing like this dusty jacket and pants with boots that come up to his knee. And he has a poncho over his shoulders and he has a wide brimmed hat pulled low, kind of obscuring his eyes that his big gif hippo snout sticks out the front of. And he rides this machine into the middle of the settlement and kind of looks around and drives it up to you. And he looks at Fival and says, All right, here it is. And tosses the sack, which rolls to your feet and it is squirming. Something inside is squirming. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell me that's not a person. Fival says, Oh, no, no, of course not. Of course not. Here, Mr. Locke. And he tosses the gif a sack of coins and he catches it, kind of weighs it with a bounce of his hand, puts it in his pocket and he nods, tipping his hat and revs the engine of this machine and rolls its way to like the large garage looking building you saw earlier. And as he drives by, you see that his belt has about three pistols on each hip and he has a large rifle across his back. So it's still pretty gif. He's still pretty gif, but he's definitely not the regimented military-esque gif that you're accustomed to seeing. Nah, he's more cockney gif. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Fival excitedly goes to open the sack. And when he does so, a very angry skeleton lunges out at him and he quickly grabs its head and there's a flash of black energy and the skeleton just collapses into bones. Oh, well, what the, oh, um, okay, necromancy stuff, got it. See, like I said, not a person. A skeleton. A skeleton. And he kind of sifts through the bones, and Marco, you can see that the skeleton looks like something has happened to it. It's like the bones have these, like, splintering cracks that kind of wind their way and fractal their way through all of it, and it almost looks like, like, lightning hit the skeleton leaving this, like, Lichtenberg black scarring all the way up and crossed all of these bones. And then you notice that while it looks like its clothes have long since disintegrated away, it is wearing what looks like brass bracelets and an intricate brass necklace. And Marco, even at a glance, you've seen enough Kratorian artifacts by now to see that these bits of jewelry are indeed Kratorian. Excuse me. These markings on the skeleton, is this due to the storm? Yes, um, whatever whatever arcane process that happens to a corpse when it lies within the storm seems to leave these marks. This is the, the third specimen that Mr. Locke has been so gracious as to retrieve for me, and uh, they all seem to have these markings. Okay, so then you're very much interested in the skeleton and the skeleton properties and what the storm does to it, correct? Um, yes, uh, that is why I'm here. So if that's the case, you won't necessarily need these jewelry, will you? Oh, Marco. (laughs) He looks at the jewelry and kind of gives you a side eye. I see what you're getting at. Make a persuasion check, Marco. All right. Hot damn. That's a 19. 19? Yeah, he goes, hmm, I suppose not. And he'll grab, like, the bracelet and try to yank it. And it takes the whole arm (laughs) off the skeleton. He kind of, like, upends it and shakes the hand through. Like he's shaking candy out of a jar. (laughs) And the skeleton's hand just kind of falls through the bracelet. And he kind of looks at it, just kind of passively, just at a glance, not really interested. And he'll toss it to you and he'll go to grab the other one. Thank you so much. And he does the same. You have advanced my own research as well. And I greatly appreciate it. Always happy to help a fellow scholar. Of course. Fantastic. 
This is quite a fine, too, so if there's anything that I can do to assist you, please let me know. Certainly. I plan on spending some time here at Storm's Edge, studying the storm itself. Um, you're more than welcome to uh, compare notes with me if you're here for any extended period of time. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, it was a pleasure to meet you, Fievel. He gives him a big old handshake. Uh, he'll take it. Uh, he has a pretty weak handshake. Pleasure to meet you as well, and I hope to see you soon. That's okay. Marcos is too. It's just two fishes flopping at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and five will smile and say and number seven and number 12 says it was a pleasure meeting you as well <laughs> he says just smiling at are you. you sure about that seven i took your jaw <laughs> <laughs> all so, right all right then there he goes to the west how strange <laughs> i look as if wow i might need to get into that storm well, necromancy's not really my thing, and I still need to find Diago. But hey, that skeleton had Kratorian bracelets. Yeah, are you a grave robber now, Marco? I'm an archaeologist. It just depends on how long it's been there. Mm. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh. <laughs> What's the difference between archaeology and grave robbing? Time. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> That's certainly one way to look at it. Damn, how can I spin stealing shit from people? Like, in real life, I guess I could call myself, like, uh, a repo man or something. I'm sorry, what were you saying, Marco? Exactly. <laughs> you just need to name your house a museum. Mm -hmm. There it is. Precisely so. Steal one golden durian from a museum and just put it in the <laughs> other museum. Your museum. Um, hey, uh, that lock guy, uh, not a typical gift, huh? No, very much, um, very much crude than the other ones I've met. Yeah, kind of, kind of bizarre. Wait, I, I ain't never seen no gith that's not a military man, huh? Might be someone worth talking to at least. Get a story at least. I guess. I mean, we ain't got nothing to do right now. Maybe he's down to get a drink. Oh well, why not? Okay. I mean, we can stay out of the necromancy storm. Yeah, that seems like a poor. I, I don't know actually, because if I'm gonna die anywhere, I mean, I want to die in a place where I'm gonna come back. I mean, you don't want to get resurrected for free. Clearly, you can get paid for it. <laughs> oh, that's true. Good call. It's quite interesting. However, I'm not a necromancer, so I don't know how much I could really add to it. Hmm. Some of his theories seem a little strange to me, but I guess, all things considered, if this skeleton had Kratorian bracelets, it does give credence to the theory that it was a Kratorian war that happened. Oh, yeah. You think the guy who studies necromancy so he can have a walking piece of luggage had some strange ideas huh that does strike me as bizarre as you're saying this you see that fievel in the background is picking up all of the pieces of the skeleton opening that giant wood crate on the back of number seven and just tossing the pieces of bone into the box <laughs> i have to admit <laughs> necromancers are a little bit of the oddballs of the wizarding community <laughs> yeah i suppose that's a real nice way of putting it charitable <laughs> on the bright side they are some of the best healers around i did not know that but i guess it makes sense <laughs> they can heal you you just might not be the same person afterwards i mean it's just a matter of how they heal you really clerics they heal you while you're alive necromancers uh they they bring you right back sure so when you went to wizard school marco they had a class on just spinning things like, you know, to make things sound good when they're really awful. Oh, yeah. Like, you're an archaeologist, <laughs> and he's a cleric, and I get it. Oh, yeah, totally. Interesting. 
It was okay. great. False equivalency class is what it was sure, called. Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you look over to that garage type thing that the GIF rode off to, and you actually see that he's now standing outside of the big, like, sliding bay doors, leaning against the building, smoking a cigarette. Like, I kind of want to talk to that guy, but it also severely seems like he's overcompensating. He's got four guns <laughs> and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. What do y'all think? I'm into it. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go talk to him then. As you approach, you see that this is a very large building. Like I said, it has the big sliding like garage doors on the one end. And it appears that this GIF has ridden his vehicle into these doors. And over top of the big doors is a sign that just crudely painted on wood that says Leadfoot Servo. Oh, okay. Um, have, I, have I ever seen, Nick, a gun smaller than a blunderbuss before yeah um you've seen like the flintlock pistols sure barnaby swain carries a set of flintlock pistols right. and some of the other gif in the employ of the elves at that time had a pistol on their belt in addition to whatever larger gun they okay, carried got it uh all right i'm going to uh i'm gonna approach this guy and uh say uh hey fella how's it going it's going I stifle my he laughter. He takes a puff of his cigarette. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll turn and, and look down at you. Uh, hey, name's Luckbeak Humboldt. Um, what's that uh, What's that ride you got there, bud? Fitzwilliam Locke. Uh-huh. And that's the storm rig that the uh, Leadfoots made for me. Yeah, but its name is... It doesn't... It, it doesn't have oh, a name. I would have thought it would have been like... They name the other rigs, but my rig doesn't need a name. Not Deathbringer or like nothing like that. Okay. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. Damn. All right. He's been in the <laughs> desert on a horse with no name. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, listen, this is, we're, we're, some, we're travelers uh, and we're only here for a short time. And by God, you look like the most interesting person around here. Uh, <laughs> we got to know your stories. These are my friends, Marco and Ravnus. Um, do you want to come have a drink? He thinks about that for a moment and, uh, he kind of turns to look back into like the garage and you look past and as your eyes kind of adjust to the light, you can see into this darkened garage, um, that there are a handful of figures moving around. There are short, like they're all gnomes and there is a handful of other big machines in here. One of which by itself seems to take up like 90% of the interior of this garage. It is a gigantic multi-sectioned train of a truck. Basically, uh, its front end has three wheels like a tricycle almost, but its front one is a big gear with the teeth in it, like almost like a version of the wheel on the front of Locke's motorcycle. But this thing has like scooping like cow catcher like cage across the front of it. And it looks like there's like a cockpit up in the back. And then the middle section looks like it's almost like the deck of a ship. It's flat on top. And it looks like there is like an interior area up there. And it is sitting on two sets of big tank treads. 
And attached to the back of that is another section on tank treads that looks like it is like some sort of cargo segment. And this just gigantic, monstrous vehicle. And you see two other vehicles about the same size as Locke's motorcycle, except instead of being a front wheel and treads, they're both a single wheel that encompasses the entire riding portion of the vehicle like a monocycle. And all of them are kind of made of this like mishmash together, like metals. And it's they're all very gnomish made. Uh, <laughs> it looks like they've been made basically from scrap, but despite this are unmistakably sturdy. And you see, it looks like there's three gnomes in here that are working on various things. There's some sparks flying in, in one area as it looks like one is welding something. And Locke, looking back at you, he goes, supposed to be rolling out into the storm soon. Does anyone else feel like we stumbled into George Miller's garage? <laughs> this is a side note. Yeah, that, I've, I've gotten that vibe. We're about to go right into the Fury Road any second here. Right. Yeah, I keep imagining the storm as that part in Fury Road where they ride into the sandstorm. <laughs> I'm glad you're picking up what I'm putting uh -huh. down. Yeah. No, I love it. <laughs> uh, so, so you're you're headed out. Uh, okay. Uh, no, that's that's fine. What? You got another job to do in there, or what? The Leadfoots hire me to provide security for their storm runs. How? Security against the storm? The storm and what dwells within it. Oh, shit. Well, ha we're going in there in not too long. What What the hell should we expect in there? Uh, he kind of nods to Fival, who is still kind of across the <laughs> way. Well, you saw that thing. A lot more where that came from. Right. All right. Evil necromantic shit. All right. Well, hey, uh, uh, thanks anyway. Then, uh, hell, maybe we'll we'll cross paths again. We're heading into that storm in not too long, so uh, maybe it'll be in our budget to hire somebody. He kind of gives you a weird look and goes, "On what? What do you mean on what? What are you going into the storm on?" Uh, I turn towards Marco and Ravnus and like shrug. Like, I get, I thought, we're, are we just walking in or? I wouldn't. <laughs> Ravenous shrugs. Marco shrugs. We haven't heard anything from Val yet. Yeah, we don't really have a plan yet. I mean, we're not the captain. He takes another puff of his cigarette and goes, you wouldn't make it 10 strides. <laughs> Buddy, listen, I admire the aesthetic. Like, <laughs> I, I do love it. But we've been through some shit and I think we're going to be okay out there. He He looks at you. And looks you up and down, and then just kind of like, huh, kind of nods. <laughs> All right. Respect. Maybe you're more than what you appear. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> look at the balls on this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, hail and well met and all that. Uh, I guess let's head back to the, I don't know, see if there's a plan yet. Sounds good to me. <laughs> um, I need to, um, do I know where the archaeology site is that I'm meant to go check in on? You were told that it is on the way to the mine. A place called Storm's Eye. Oh, great. So as you go to walk away, you hear an engine arcing arcane energy and a bassy roar emanate from the garage. And you see this massive rig start moving and it slowly crawls its way out of the garage and heads towards the Voidfarer. Hmm. That might be our ride. I, God, I hope so. That'd be cool as hell. 
starts to tear up the toy fair. I was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and as this thing begins to move slowly, one gnome is driving this big rig and the other two each get on the monocycle like vehicles, rev those up and roll them up to each side of this thing, flanking it. And you see that there's actually ramps up onto platforms and they roll the thing up on each side of this rig, kind of docking it on top. And the, the rig itself crawls its way over to where the Voidfarer is set hmm. down. Well, I'd say that's a nearly 100% chance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back, I suppose. That's money well spent. Yeah. And as you walk away, you see Locke, this gif, drop his cigarette, stamp it out, and start turning and walking towards his motorcycle <laughs> vehicle as well. So yeah, and you walk up, you get there a few minutes after this thing has pulled up next to the void fair. You see all of the crates that were the cargo, mining equipment, tools, and that sort of thing being sent to the mine um, have been set off to the side of the void fair. And Brawla is standing there next to Val, and Val just has her arms crossed with her head in her palm. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking her head as Brawla is just kind of standing there with a grin on her face. And as you walk up, Val is saying, Rana, I really wish you would have been forthright with all of the details before we agreed to take this job. And Brawler's like, oh, yeah, well, you probably wouldn't have taken it if you knew. Yeah, you're right. The <laughs> ship cannot sit here for two weeks. Cannot. We have other jobs. We're doing you this as a favor to you. We can't leave the Void Fair here for two weeks. Brawler is going to say, look, the agreement is that we have to escort the shipment through the storm to the mine. That's that's in the contract. You wouldn't want to be a breach of contract, would you? It was your contract. <laughs> Look, I, you knew it paid well. Val's going to just rub her temple and goes, Yes. All right, well, I can't leave the ship here, so I'm going to have to send some of the crew with you to get that done, and we'll have to come back and get them. As the three of us walk up. Yeah. <laughs> ah, perfect time. All right. Running away quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they walk into the room, immediately walk out. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, do not make direct eye contact. <laughs> you forced our hand, Val. We will stay with the Void Fair for two weeks while you go out and do your thing. <laughs> nice try, but uh, this sort of thing is exactly what I brought you three on for. Yeah. These sorts of miscellaneous odd jobs. Yeah, no. Well, here we go. We figured that out already. What boring of a story would it be if you just <laughs> went with the Void Fair? <laughs> Can we at least have some lodgings arranged for us while we're on this planet? Brawler is going to say, oh, there, there's lodgings at the mine. Plus, once we're there, we shouldn't be there too long before we turn around and hike our way back out. And uh, by then, Val will make sure you're back in time for when we come out. Shouldn't be any uh, layover. Oh, my goody aunt. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you see Brohane on the back of Ira crawl out of like the side hatch on the void fair that leads to his workshop uh and skitter its way down onto the ground and brawl is looking over and gonna see him and goes oh there he is he looks good on that and she says love to see you ride in something else brohane just turns beet red and puts up his hand to rub his temple <laughs> and tries really hard to just ignore Brawla. No. Oh, bro. <laughs> I, I spit my drink mm -hmm. out. <laughs> Marco does a spit take. Mar Marco's just always drinking something when Brawler says anything. <laughs> I, <was> like, uh, <laughs> I need to stop drinking these things. 
<laughs> so <laughs> Val's going to say, all right, then you three, um, I'm sending Brohane as well, since he has some history with the, the dwarves at the mine. Brohane just shakes his head, but doesn't say anything. And Brawla will be accompanying you as well, since she needs to be there to broker the deal. You'll be in the uh, lovely care of the Leadfoot clan here. And uh, standing up out of the cockpit of the big storm rig is this kind of scrawny looking gnome. He pulls up his goggles and you can see that there is like a soot outline of the goggles around his face. And, <laughs> and he says, that's right. Lugnut Leadfoot here. And that's my sister Gasket pointing over to one of the, the gnomes who's now gotten off their monocycle on the back of the big uh, storm rig. That's my brother, Camshaft. We'll be taking right good care of you. <laughs> oh, and that's Dipstick. <laughs> Lumbering out of the enclosure on the back is a giant space hamster with a big clockwork mechanical prosthetic on its front, uh, on its one front leg. And it comes out and sits up and just kind of like, Twitches its nose at you. No, hey, I have one of those too. <laughs> a nose? You have a space oh. hamster. Yeah. I take it out and say, Squeakers! <laughs> Hi, Toshi. Yeah, Toshi just. Well, ain't he a handsome one, huh? Yep. This is my Toshi. I make sure I feed him every day. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Toshi. I'm sure him and Dipstick will get along just fine for the journey. Oh, of course. Real quick, though, Squeakers. Swoop! <laughs> Back into my pocket. That's a nifty trick there. Very good for whenever we get into tight spaces. All right. Well, let's uh, get the cargo loaded up and uh, let's make our way into the storm. Uh, and you hear the rumbling of the motorcycle as the gift comes around the corner and drives his storm rig up onto a similar platform on the tail end of this giant vehicle. And he'll get off as well. And you see the whole vehicle kind of like dip slightly as the weight of this machine and its gift rider strain its suspension. <laughs> I um, who's who is the one with the the hamster? Uh, it's the the hamster belongs to the Leadfoots, which seem to be all three of these. Sure. Names. Okay, Lugnut, can you tell me a little bit more about these these machines? Well, sure thing. The only way to get anything to and from the mine, since I uh, can't fly spelljammers through that. No, of course not. It's a necessity, because uh, once you get into the storm, you can't stop. If you stop for even just a second, the undead swarms will overtake you. He says nonchalantly. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> fine. <laughs> hey, that that right. that hamster you have, is it named after anybody? Uh, nope. Oh, okay. I, I have a friend named Dipslide. I just want... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. We all thought oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, once we get going, it's a well, it's a three-day journey to the storm's eye, then a two-day journey from that to the mine. But uh, at least we'll have a brief moment of respite at the storm's eye. Storm's eye. Oh, I actually have some associates that are out there working at storm's eye. Oh, uh, that'd be the seekers then, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, yes. I'm a seeker myself. <laughs> Are you now? We just took the Seekers out there um, about a month ago. They've been uh, working hard out there since. We were planning on uh, stopping there uh, for the night anyway once we get there. Oh, good. Okay. Gives a thumbs up. Uh, so, Ravnus, as everyone's kind of, the cargo is getting loaded and everything, and everyone's getting ready to leave, you spot a figure out of the corner of your eye that seems to be intently watching this conversation. Uh, she turns around to look. 
it is a cloaked figure. You can't really make out any features, and they're kind of hanging out near the quarter of what looks like the tavern or inn over across the way. And as soon as you look, the figure ducks around the corner. Mm. Um, she is going to say that someone was watching us. I mean, really, we are a human and a doar. And I, I mean, we're we're not the most, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, normal group. I, I wouldn't blame them. What well, was that foreshadowing you were talking about earlier? Well, only if they were like wearing a cloak and you couldn't make out any of their features. <laughs> 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 I mean, but you knew exactly who it was, though, right? <laughs> I am going to look at Brawler real quick and say that, Brawler, we're not carrying anything, like, different or anything that might be heavily desired, would we? Well, these are quality-made dwarven tools, but beyond that, no. Okay. Tell you what, the shipments out of the mine are far more treacherous because that's when we usually have our huge-ass shipments of Cindershard. Hmm. You see, you get it cheaper when you go directly to the mine. Otherwise, you got to pay all sorts of premiums because it's so hard to get it out of the storm. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's why me and the crew of the Tishra's Pride, she says, kind of puffing out her chest a little bit, are one of the few brave enough to take it on. If that's the case, um, it might just be a sneak thief trying to get something from us and then realize that they'd be standing up against Ravnus and then ran away. Maybe. So that would be my hypothesis. Um, I I wouldn't fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they ran away anyway. All right. There you go. See, who needs a uh, a gith on a motorcycle with four guns when we got Ravnus? Exactly. <laughs> I'm a bodyguard for all of us. So the cargo gets finished uh, getting loaded up into the rear segment of this massive storm rig, which by now you've heard Lugnut affectionately refer to it as the dust cleaver. The dust cleaver. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Time to move out of here. All right. Well, let's get going, I guess. Yeah, grab my gear and, and hop on in. Yep. Get loaded up. <laughs> This beast of a machine roars to life with the dull hum and crackle of alchemical energy, and the storm rig lurches forward. You see the storm looming ahead, growing larger and taller as the vehicle accelerates. A dark, imposing wall of swirling clouds so tall you have to crane your neck to make out the top. There's a flash of purple light as arcane lightning crackles within the dark clouds, followed by several more distant flashes and the dull roll of thunder. Wind and dust picks up as you near the edge of this swirling storm, and as you all encroach within about a hundred feet, Lugnut pulls a lever and raises a mass with twisted instruments affixed to the top. The storm parts in your path as you reach the edge. The swirling sand and clouds curl around and above the vehicle as it enters, seemingly held back by an invisible dome. And as you all travel onward on this storm rig, the storm closes behind you.
Hey, Nick again. Before I let you go, huge shout out to Danny Zoltani, Jesse DiLorenzo, Marky Spat, and Tyler Lisko of the band Highland Rose for that kick-ass rock version of Tom's Voidfarer theme, Starfire Jig. Check out Highland Rose and their EP, Live My Life, anywhere you get your music. And I am super excited to announce the Highland Rose guys will be joining me in a brand new Project Derailed podcast miniseries, The Knights of Rock Holla where I teach them how to play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition as we play an adventure in a homebrew, rock-and-roll-inspired fantasy world where every musician is an adventurer and every adventurer is a musician, and they all strive to achieve Rock Holla. You can follow us now at Rock Holla D&D on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates as that project progresses. It's gonna fucking rock. It's 1997. There's been a turf war between the Visigoth of the 5th century and the Malgoths of today raging for a full year. Now, with the mysterious chain letter creating new conflict, the Goths will fight for dominance over the Hawthorne shops. But what happens when feelings get in the way? We're just gonna go mess with the Visigoths. Beric's just gonna make, like, kissy sounds. There's just, like, a coy little wink back. To woo a dark heart. Would this woo your dark heart? She's so pretty and she makes my heart beat so fast and I don't know why. Visigoths? Malgoths? I guess the most important thing is that I'm free. Join Project Derailed as they play any nominated Visigoths vs. Malgoths. Fables Around the Table, Season 2, Tainted Love. Sometimes, love bites. ProjectDerailed.com